I'm Bryce Miller. And I'm Jacob Schatz. And this is Talking Atlas. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Atlas. Last week, we covered a scant some number of cards spoiled for the upcoming Silver Bordered set, Unstable. It is Silver Bordered, which means it is not legal in really any context of magic. It's just casual. It's just for fun. And it looks like a lot of fun. And it looks like there's a lot to go through, so we should probably keep going because we're at great risk of having this be three episodes of spoilers as opposed to the usual two. At the very least, we won't have to explain contraptions again. And I say that because just go back and listen to the first episode of Unstable Spoilers if you want to know how contraptions work. We're not doing that again. Yeah, if you hear us say something and we gloss over it with maybe the mention that we covered it before, you should totally listen to the previous episode. Let's get on to new confusing things, starting off with Slaying Mantis. Slaying Mantis is five green green for a creature insect wrestler. Slaying Mantis is a 6-6 with just a second. As long as the spell is on the stack, players can't move cards on the battlefield. Slaying Mantis enters the battlefield by being thrown from a distance of at least three feet. When Slaying Mantis enters the battlefield, it fights each creature and opponent controls that it touched as it entered. Magic has tried, very, very early on, manual dexterity cards. Silverboarded sets are the only place where you can still actually do that, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Just a Second is also a reference to an earlier mechanic called Split Second, which is an ability on some spells from, I think it was Time Spiral? Yep, Time Spiral. We're playing with time, time-based mechanics. You couldn't respond to the spell while it was on the stack with any spells or abilities. The abilities that you couldn't get around with Split Second were mana abilities, because you're always allowed to resolve a mana ability. Just a Second is almost strictly better than Split Second, because... If you can't tap your lands for mana, you can't activate their mana abilities. And if you can't move a card, it can't be tapped. The pro strats that I saw on the Magic subreddit was that you take your opponent's card and say, oh, let me read that. Sorry, I, I want to make sure what, I know what these all do. And then you go, ha ha, slaying mantis. Lutara! <clears throat> Elbow drop. I have a wonderful movie playing in my head, remembering back to one of the Hascon promos, Nerf War. Nerf War is a sorcery that deals damage based upon how many cards you can knock off your opponent's library from a given distance with a nerf blaster, with a full clip of a nerf blaster. They actually playtested it. That's how they dialed in the distance. So I know for almost a fact that they had to have playtested Slaying Mantis by having people go, okay, let's see. Let's try one foot. Nope, that was too easy. I just blew up your board. Two feet, still too easy. Three, there we go. Just right. Next up is Party Crasher. Four and a red for a 3-3 creature, Goblin Berserker, with haste, and you can attack with Party Crasher once each combat during each opponent's turn. My question is, does that override the fact that it's tapped? I don't think that it does. So you can attack on anyone's turn, but without vigilance, it's still only once per turn cycle. Part of the reason we did not want to progress too much further in last week's episode, besides finding a pretty good stopping point, was because of this next card, Rules Lawyer. It's three white-white for a 1-1 artifact creature cyborg advisor. 
The rules text is state-based actions don't apply to you or other permanents you control. The remainder of the text box is filled by reminder text describing what state-based actions are and what they do, or rather, in this case, what they don't. For your reference, state-based actions is the name for the stuff that happens between turns and phases and spells and abilities that helps everything work smoothly in the game. For example, you may have heard the joke, damage doesn't kill people, state-based actions kill people. Because it is state-based actions that say, are you at zero life? If so, you lose the game. Is your creature at zero toughness or lethal damage marked on it? If so, it dies. There are a lot of other things that state-based actions do. And now, if you will all come along with me on this rules lawyer ride, I'm going to read off to you the list of state-based actions. Jacob, are you strapped in? Oh, as much as I can be. The list of state-based actions are as follows. If a player has zero or less life, they lose the game. If a player attempted to draw a card from a library with no cards in it since the last time state-based actions were checked, they lose the game. If a player has 10 or more poison counters, they lose the game. If a token is in a zone other than the battlefield, it ceases to exist. If a copy of a spell is in a zone other than the stack, it ceases to exist. If a copy of a card is in any other zone other than the stack or the battlefield, it ceases to exist. If a creature has toughness zero or less, it's put into its owner's graveyards. Regeneration can't replace this event. If a creature has toughness greater than zero, and the total damage marked on it is greater than or equal to its toughness, that creature has been dealt lethal damage and is destroyed. Regeneration can replace this event. If a creature has toughness greater than zero, and it's been dealt damage by a source with death touch since the last time state-based actions were checked, that creature is destroyed. Regeneration can replace this event. If a planeswalker has loyalty zero, it's put into its owner's graveyard. If a player controls two or more legendary permanents with the same name, that player chooses one of them, and the rest are put into their owner's graveyards. This is called the legend rule. If two or more permanents have the supertype world, all except the one that has the world supertype for the shortest amount of time are put into their owner's graveyards. In the event of a tie for the shortest amount of time, all are put into their owner's graveyards. This is called the world rule. If an aura is attached to an illegal object or player, or is not attached to an object or player, that aura is put into its owner's graveyard. If an equipment or fortification is attached to an illegal permanent, it becomes unattached from that permanent. It remains on the battlefield. If a creature is attached to an object or player, it becomes unattached and remains on the battlefield. Similarly, if a permanent that's neither an aura, an equipment, nor a fortification is attached to an object or player, it becomes unattached and remains on the battlefield. I still can't see the bottom of this list. If a permanent has both a plus one plus one counter and a minus one minus one counter on it, n plus one plus one and n minus one minus one counters are removed from it, where n is the smallest number of plus one plus one and minus one minus one counters on it. If a permanent with an ability oh, that says it can't have more than n counters of a certain kind on it has more than n counters of that kind on it, all but n of those counters are removed from it. In a 2 at a giant game, if a team has 0 or less life, that team loses the game. In 2 at a giant, if a team has 15 or more poison counters, that team loses the game. In a commander game, a player that's been dealt 21 or more combat damage by the same commander over the course of the game loses the game. In an arch enemy game, if a non-ongoing scheme card is face up in the command zone and no triggered abilities of any scheme are on the stack or waiting to be put on the stack, that scheme card is turned face down and put on the bottom of its owner's scheme deck. In a plane chase game, if a phenomenon card is face up in the command zone and it isn't the source of a triggered ability that has triggered but not yet left the stack, the planar controller planeswalks. Ugh. Oh, 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 yeah, that's, um, that's what state-based actions are. Everyone, thank you, Bryce, for that informative summary. Y y you are done, right? <laughs>
Yeah, that's what Rose Lawyer says doesn't affect you. Take all of what you've just said, flip it, and reverse it. Notably, this applies to other permanents. So, Rules Lawyer could still die to lethal damage, or being blocked, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, have any questions about that, let me know. In the meantime, I will pass back to Jacob before he has a conniption. Ineffable blessing! What an agreeing for an enchantment. As Ineffable Blessing enters the battlefield, choose Flavorful or Bland. If you chose Flavorful, whenever a creature with flavor text enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. If you chose Bland, whenever a creature without flavor text enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. This is a fine card that will sometimes draw you cards, and you'll often forget when it will draw you cards. But the most important thing about this card is its flavor text, which speaks to me on a spiritual level. Hallowed be this assemblage of various stuff. If that isn't my Tassiger deck in a nutshell, I'm not entirely sure what is. <laughs> it absolutely is. I run meandering tower shell. That's not a card. Next up, we have the Grand Calcutron. It's white-blue for a legendary artifact. When the Grand Calcutron enters the battlefield, each player's hand becomes a program, an ordered row of revealed cards. Players can only play the first card of their program. If a card will be put into a player's hand from anywhere, that player reveals it and places it anywhere within his or her program instead. At the beginning of each player's end step, if that player's program has fewer than five cards, they draw cards equal to the difference. A couple wonderful things about this card. One, it's meant to be the leader of the order of the widget. Two, the order of the widget has no legendary creatures, but Mark Rosewater has issued his unofficial official blogatog errata stamp of approval that if you are already okay with silver border commanders that the grand calcutron can totally be your commander three this car was spoiled by our friends at robo rosewater yay we had on reed and chaz gosh over a year ago now to talk about their neural network that spits out magic cards and this was i believe their first spoiler so congratulations folks it was a really great one too Next up, we have the card Insight Insight, which is I-N-C-I-T-E-I-N-S-I-G-H-T, as in Create Insight. X blue blue for a sorcery. Assemble X contraptions. Now, this card is not super remarkable at first blush. It's really cool. But let me draw your attention to Stroke of Genius, which is a black border draw spell. It's X two and a blue for an instant. Target player draws X cards. Here's the flavor text of Insight Insight. Actually, no. Here's the flavor text of Stroke of Genius first. After a hundred failed experiments, Urza was stunned to find that common silver passed through the portal undamaged. He immediately began designing a golem made of the metal. The flavor text for Insight Insight is, After a hundred failed patent applications, Cornelian was stunned to find that no one had ever created a steam-powered autonomous ice cream delivery system. He immediately designed a gnome with scoops for hands. And the art is well mirrored with the characters in question doing a kind of face palm of realization. One of those, oh, of course. A bit of a random reference, but a very detailed one. Jack Knight is one and a white for an artifact creature, Cyborg Knight. That was a nice little poem I just made. <laughs> it's a 1-1 one -one with whenever another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Jack Knight. If that artifact is a contraption, Jack Knight gains lifelink until end of turn. Flavor text, 
My sword is at your service, as are my scissors, corkscrew, and bottle opener. This is a surprisingly efficient little creature that also happens to be pretty funny. Probably one of the most important aspects of this set is giving Jacob the means of living out his villain fantasies. This set is so lovely. For that. Let us begin with, ironically, The countdown is at one. Three red red for a sorcery. Players play a magic subgame, starting at one life and using their libraries as their decks. For the rest of the main game, if a source would deal damage to a player who didn't win the subgame, it deals double that damage to that player instead. This card calls back to a couple of cards, the primary one being Shahrazad, which is a white sorcery that makes players play a magic subgame and the losing player loses half their life. The first reference back to that card was Enter the Dungeon in Unhinged. It's black black for a sorcery. You play a subgame starting at five life, and the winner of the subgame gets to search for two cards. Last time around, we hadn't quite gotten to many legendary creatures with the exception of Spike. We're now going to hit a couple of the characters from the League of Dastardly Doom. Is that correct? Do we determine it was League and not Legion? Yes, that's correct. Good. Legion, of, Legion Doom of Doom is the, is the actual... real one. Yeah. Yeah. It's the real thing. They are apparently ruled by a cabal, so they have a lot of legendary creatures representing those people. Yay! The first one here is Mary O'Kill. Five and a red-black hybrid for a 5-5 legendary creature human villain. One and a red-black hybrid. Switch a killbot or Mary O'Kill in your hand with one on the battlefield. The catch is they retain essentially all the information. What counters were on them, whether they were being targeted by a spell, whether they were equipped with something, enchanted with something, you do an almost perfect substitution of one to the other. This is an odd little hand-wavy thing that you can get away with in silver-bordered magic. Everyone can kind of agree what switch means, but if you actually had to write out rules for it in the comprehensive magic rules, it would be a nightmare. And if it were just like ninjutsu, where you bounced one creature and played the other, it'd be fine, because we know what happens when a creature leaves the battlefield. The difficulty comes in all the, t- all the elements of, well, it could have this status and this status and this status and be doing this and be doing that. We haven't seen many killbots, technically two, primarily one. The one right here is Curious Killbot. It's two mana for a 2-1 artifact creature killbot, with flavor text, or beep, click, click? Our next legendary villain is Grusilda, Monster Masher. Three black-red for a 4-4 legendary creature zombie villain. Combined, enchanted, and equipped creatures you control have menace. But Jacob, what is a combined creature? Hmm. The word combined pulls double duty in this set, I'm realizing. The first thing that is immediately apparent from Grusilda's card is that her second ability says... Three black-red tap, put two target creature cards from graveyards onto the battlefield combined into one creature under your control. Its power is equal to their total power, its toughness is equal to their total toughness, and it has their names, mana cost, types, text boxes, etc. As evidenced by the mechanic Meld in Eldritch Moon, combining creatures is also something Magic has wanted to try, but it's much easier said than done. The Mimeoplasm was another attempt at that in Black Border. The Mimeoplasm is two blue, green, black for a creature that as he enters, 
you exile two creature cards from graveyards. He enters as a copy of one with a number of plus one plus one counters equal to the power of the other. So it kind of combines them, but not as directly as this does. Another hand wavy, we get it, unrules benefit is we can just say text boxes and say all the text that's on this one card can go on the other card when that's not a thing that the magic rules has any sort of concept of. Jacob indicated that there was a second meaning for combined creatures. We'll address that in a little bit. The next and most prominent member of the Cabal is Baron Von Count. One black-red for a 3-3 legendary creature human villain. Baron Von Count enters the battlefield with a doom counter on 5. And in Baron Von Count's art, there are actually 5 to 1. Strike that, reverse it. There's 1 to 5 in the background, prominently in his art. Whenever you cast a spell with the indicated numeral in its mana cost, text box, power, or toughness, move the doom counter one numeral to the left. When the doom counter moves from one, destroy target player and put that doom counter on five. Jacob, I think you and I really need to have a good evil cackle right here. Oh, yes, let's. (laughs) (laughs) i love baron von count i love villains as characters especially hammy over the top yes my plan has enacted villains and Baron Von Count does that so nicely and synergizes with the card that we talked about earlier, the countdown is at one, because it does have the numeral one in its text box, because players start the subgame at one life. So if you cast the countdown is at one, while the countdown is at one, you destroy target player. Some more Jacob context for the viewers. Jacob has at least once played a theatrical role that was exactly this kind of cackling evildoer. He liked it so much that he kept the costume. I traded a lot of other costume pieces. Like, I just went out and bought clothes to trade to the costume shop so that I could keep my cape. It is a good cape. It's a very good cape! Next, we have a small sub-mechanic within Unstable that is best showcased by Extremely Slow Zombie. One and a black for a 3-3 creature. It's a zombie. You might be saying, Bryce, wait, it's a 3-3 for 2? Well, yes, it is, but it has Last Strike. This creature deals combat damage after creatures without Last Strike. Flavor text, which is presumably the start of brains. I'm sorry, I'm not sure that you've pronounced that correctly. I believe it's Anyway, Last Strike is put to an even more enjoyable application on Three-Headed Goblin. Three Red Red for a creature Goblin Mutant. It has Triple Strike. So it deals First Strike, Normal Strike, and Last Strike damage. Are you quite finished? Yes. Flavor text. It's true that two heads are better than one, but after that you run into diminishing returns. Next up, we have more or less. Blue for an instant. Add or subtract one. It's 
numeral one, or one, the word one, from a number or number word on target spell or permanent until end of turn. Flavor text, why was five afraid of six? Because six, seven, eight. This card looks like a headache and a half. It means that you could kill a creature who has one short of lethal damage marked on it, for starters. Or any one toughness creature. This just kills X1s. There's a lot more than that. I'm scrolling back and trying to think of what's the most annoying way to use it. Does it work on spells? It does work on spells. Mm -hmm. It subtracts one from the starting at one life and the countdown is at one. (laughs) Oh, also, also, you can cast it on the countdown is at one to make the card's name. The countdown is at zero, but do functionally nothing else. That's so stupid. I love it. Oh my God. That's great. You can make a four-headed goblin. <laughs> but I don't think triple could be made into quadruple, probably. No, I don't think that's the case. I, I feel like spelling out the numeral one and then the word one firmly establish what the limitations on number or number word are. Wait, wait. When someone... Oh, is there any way to make this work? So the text of Baron Von Count is, when the Doom Counter moves from one... Destroy target player and put that doom counter on five. The issue is, if they've already cast their spell and triggered his first ability, you can't respond with more or less to save yourself. Because even though you could make the moves from one into moves from zero, the trigger would still be on the stack to destroy a player. So I guess all you could do is, if you know they don't have any instance that would provide the appropriate numeral, you could upkeep more or less to make when it moves from one to zero or or something like move maybe back to two because they've already done that and you get a one turn reprieve well the destroy target player ability has a target so you know who they're gonna kill so if it's not you then you just make it move to six and since six doesn't exist the doom counter goes away fair since six doesn't exist what a sentence that i've said this day <laughs> Pardon me, I'm scrolling through trying to find what other weird interactions you get. You could make Grizzlebrand cost seven! <laughs> you could! Hmm, wait a second here. Wait a second. Sword of Dungeons and Dragons. It says that whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you make a 4-4 gold dragon creature token with flying and roll a d20. If you roll a 20, repeat this process. You could make it roll a d21? Oh. At which point I think you just pull out a computer... And make a small random number generator? You could make it slightly statistically less likely to roll a crit. You can make midlife upgrade assemble you X plus zero contraptions. That's not bad. If you could use it to rewrite an ability, you could make hangman have a word with five or nine letters. I'm enjoying this far too much. (laughs) Similar to the Sword of Dungeons and Dragons thing, you can change any card that references six-sided dice to seven-sided or five-sided dice start rolling 1d5 all right all right that's probably enough of that i'm gonna keep this in mind as we keep scrolling but we should probably do a different card go ahead jacob the next card is called buzzing wackadoodle and i've never been happier and it's pretty straightforward oh yeah i mean yeah considering four mana for an artifact as buzzing wackadoodle enters the battlefield you and an opponent each secretly choose whack or doodle then those choices are revealed If the choices match, 
Buzzing Wackadoodle has that ability. Otherwise, it has Buzz. The three abilities listed here are Whack. Tap, target player loses two life. Doodle, tap, you gain three life. Or Buzz, two, tap, draw a card. They put one of my other favorite card games and turned it into a card that has no thematic ties to that (laughs) card game. For context, one of my other favorite card games is called Yomi, and Yomi is the Japanese word for reading the mind of the opponent. This card has its own little sub-mind game, where you just have to try to outthink your opponent. We often call these colloquially levels of Yomi. The first one is you just make your choice independent of what the opponent is going to pick. The second gets into I know that they know, and then it just snowballs from there. Now we'll be getting into another primary mechanic in this set, and it's a weird one. It's host and augment. This goes back to the combined creatures thing. There are creatures with the super type host. For example, ordinary pony. Two and a white for a host creature horse. It's a 2-3. It says, when this creature enters the battlefield, you may exile target non-horse creature you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. A couple notes about this card's border, or its layout in general. The words ordinary and pony are separated by a little break. It looks like someone snapped the title bar. Aligned with that break in the art, you have this kind of metal divider with a hole in it, and the horse appears to be going through the hole. The hyphen that separates host creature from horse is also aligned with this image, and the when this creature enters the battlefield is on the left side, while the result of the trigger is on the right. Then you have a number of creatures with augment. They are simply creatures of the subtype. Their name is usually some kind of thing that could be applied to something else. They can't be cast. They have a color indicator to show you their color. Their power and toughness is a plus something, plus two, plus two, not two, two. And they have the start of a trigger and an augment ability, which means you may pay this cost to place it on top of a host creature at sorcery speed to combine them. For example, there's monkey hyphen. Monkey hyphen is a creature of subtype monkey. It says whenever a non-token creature you control dies, comma, nothing else, then it's augmentability for two and a green, and it gives plus two plus two. So if I have out my ordinary pony, I can pay three mana to augment a monkey onto it, making it a monkey pony. The art is situated such that you can lay the augment over top the left half of the host, and it reads fairly contiguously. So we'd end up with a 4-5 creature that says, whenever a non-token creature you control dies, you may exile target non-horse creature you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. And this would be a creature monkey horse. The host augment mechanic is pretty closely tied to another one of the factions in the world of Bablovia, which is the crossbreed labs. The crossbreed lab members are very easy to identify, as they have a ridiculous quantity of creature types. Like, for example, the Druid of the Sacred Beaker. Two and a green. It taps for one green mana per Crossbreed Lab's watermark among permanents you control. And she's a creature deer bird ape druid. Flavor text, others try to be the best in their class. She strives to be the best in her phylum. Heh. <laughs> Biology jokes. Funnily enough, my favorite combination of host and augment creatures has one creature type twice. There's a host creature called Adorable Kitten. 
Adorable Kitten is one white mana for a 1-1 host creature cat. When it enters the battlefield, you roll a six-sided die and you gain life equal to the result. Then there's an augment creature called Half Kitten Half. It is a creature cat that gives plus one, plus two, and whenever you're dealt damage, comma, it has augment for two and a white. With these two cards combined, you can have the mighty power of a half-kitten, half-kitten. It is so cute. It's chasing a butterfly. And half-kitten, half, as well as adorable kitten, are drawn by the same artist, depicting largely the same scene. Half-kitten, half, that's so awkward to say, (laughs) is chasing a butterfly. Adorable kitten has crushed the butterfly. That is, I don't, is it? It could be the other way around. It could be that, it makes more sense to me chronologically that because the host is on the battlefield first that first we see the cat holding down a butterfly and then we see it having lost the butterfly and trying to catch it again i'm going to sound very foolish here but i thought that in the adorable kitten art it had got some kind of fishy treat because i thought the spot on the butterfly looked a little bit like an eye of a of a fish and then like one of those cartoon fish bones you know what actually now that i look closer i think you're right (gasps) the objects are not colored the same The butterfly lives. This set is great. (laughs) The leader of the Crossbreed Labs is Dr. Julius Jumblemorph. Two green white for a legendary creature. Just that. Dr. Julius Jumblemorph is every creature type, even if this card isn't on the battlefield. Whenever a host enters the battlefield under your control, you may search your library and or graveyard for a card with augment and combine it with that host. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. And he's a 4-4. So far, Dr. Jumblemorph is the only other killbot in the set we have seen. (laughs) Oh my god, you're right. Silver-bordered cards are so powerful that they cannot be contained within a single game of magic. For example, there is the card SideQuest. SideQuest is white for a sorcery. Target player in a silver-bordered game you can see from your seat gains control of target creature you control until your next turn. At the beginning of your next upkeep, put two plus one plus one counters on that creature. You send one of your creatures on a little adventure in a different game, and it gets stronger, it gains XP. Sliding back a little bit, I want to mention the card Hydradoodle. It's XX green green for a creature Hydra Hound. As it enters the battlefield, roll X six-sided dice. Hydradoodle enters the battlefield with a number of plus one plus one counters equal to the total of the dice rolled this way. It has reach and trample. The reason I find this card so amusing is that there's an ongoing debate within Magic R&D about the use of hound for a creature type versus dog. You will note the inconsistency that there are cats and cat soldiers and cat clerics, but when you see dogs, they're always hound. Now, I agree with Mark Rosewater's stance that... Hound is a subclass of dog, so why would you not just say dog? I think the other argument is it's coming from a very D&D traditional fantasy bent where you say it's a hound. I find this card so amusing because silver-boarded sets are Mark Rosewater's domain. They have made up creature types for this set, and yet Mark Rosewater still can't have his damn dog. Poodle's not even a hound. It's just a dog. <laughs> Maybe that's the joke, honestly. Maybe that was a really highbrow joke. It's possible. Highbrow and unset is something that I'm willing to believe, 
but it does take a bit of suspending. Another card that reaches outside the game is Better Than One. White-green for a sorcery. A person outside the game becomes your teammate. You choose any number of cards in your hand, on top of your library, or on the battlefield under your control. Those cards become your teammates' hand, library, and permanence, respectively. The art proudly displays a collection of Crossbreed Labs members looking at a turtle with two chicken heads. And not only any turtle, a giant turtle with two chicken heads. I appreciate that the owl on the left side of the art is just sort of gesturing at the giant chicken turtle two-head monstrosity like, yeah, get a lot of this. And the thing on the right, I think, is taking notes. Someone has to. Does this bird turtle have scale birds? I can't tell. I can't tell if it's scale birds or just loose feathers. No, wait, it's bursting out of a barn. (laughs) It totally is. It probably broke the lab. The great thing about a silver-bordered set is that even the kind of necessary commons can be entertaining. Take, for example, Amateur Auteur. One and a white for a 2-2 creature human. Sacrifice Amateur Auteur. Destroy target enchantment. The character in the art is dressed like a Selesnia cleric and is doing a kind of jazz hands motion in front of a crude painting of the Tablet of the Guilds. The flavor text is... And thus at Mesa's end, the runners end their strife. Our saving grace, that hooded kid, is now guilt-packed for life. Attributed to Ravnica, the musical. (laughs) Ravnica, all caps, exclamation point. I would listen to Ravnica, the musical. God, but you would. Owing in no small part to me being a Jace fangirl and a massive theater nerd. Of course, Jacob is at least one of those things. Or rather, Jacob will admit to one of those things. Anyway, moving on. This next card has an ability that we've seen before, but not exactly templated this way. Shelephant is one green green for a question mark question mark creature, turtle, and or elephant. It has an activated ability zero. Choose one. You may activate this ability while Shelephant is in any zone. You have two options. Shelephant has base power and toughness 1-4, or Shelephant has base power and toughness 3-3. There's been a series of shapeshifters that are all based around clay, artifact creatures that enter the battlefield as various types of things. This is Silver Border because this can be either in any zone. I believe it's the Shelephant pictured in the art for side quest. It spontaneously appeared on the knight's boat. Those two pieces of art are done by different artists, which means that Shelephant is definitely in the style guide for Unstable, and that's extraordinarily important to me. Next up, we have a card that's a little baffling, and I'm not really trying to make a pun there. It's very Cryptic Command. Referencing, of course, Cryptic Command. It's one, blue, 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 for an instant. Choose two. Untap two target permanents. Tap each permanent target player controls with exactly one word in its name, discard all the cards in your hand, then draw that many cards, and return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. I believe that means the second mode taps down most basic lands, which seems kind of annoying. I don't get this card. It's good. It's referencing a good card by being a good card that does different things, and is a little harder to wrap your head around, but it's not... It's not much of a joke. It, it's not really a joke, is it? It's 
barely even an uncard. The only thing that makes it an uncard is that it's referencing number of words in name, which is a thing that Silver Border can only do because translations of cards have to be treated exactly the same and they can have varying numbers of words in their name. But otherwise, this isn't even anything. It's pretty good. It's a decent rate. I mean, it's a command, but it's it's not it's not a joke. Jacob, do you have any more context for the card Target Minotaur than I do? I don't think I do. <laughs> My only theory, Target Minotaur is one in a red for a 2-1 creature Minotaur warrior with prowess, and it has flavor text, not again. The Minotaur is partially frozen in stride. Is the joke that Minotaurs are often the creature being frosted in spells that freeze things? I'm not sure. I, I don't recall the Minotaurs being the wharf of magic creature types. Next up is another functional card, but it's un-enough that I, I accept it. Quark's Other Thumb. Two mana for a legendary artifact. If you would roll a die, instead roll two of those dice and ignore one of those results. Flavor text, Krark was the kind of goblin who'd lose his thumb in a wager and come right back with devil or nothing. This is, of course, a reference to the existing blackboard of magic card, Krark's other other th- I'm sorry, it's just Krark's thumb. That lets you flip coins, because flipping coins is perfectly fine for regular magic, but rolling dice is too high variance. Next up, Delving into the weirdness of using timing in a magic game, Modular Monstrosity. Seven mana for an artifact creature construct. It's a 3-3, and whenever an opponent casts a spell, you have five seconds to choose a keyword you haven't chosen for a card named Modular Monstrosity today that's been printed on a creature card. If you do, Modular Monstrosity gains that ability. Otherwise, Modular Monstrosity loses all keyword abilities. I imagine that Triple Strike is a pretty good start, you got Indestructible and Hexproof. In fact, if they try to target the Modular Monstrosity, you can say Hexproof or Indestructible or Shroud in response, which is not bad. I think you could also say Protection from Everything. Oh, God. You totally can. So if you're only playing one game of Magic that day with Modular Monstrosity, my personal picking order is Protection from Everything and then Indestructible. And then what comes after that doesn't really matter as long as you have something. You could say Banding. Don't say banding. No, no, you can't say banding. Don't say banding. I take it back I immediately. I forbid it. I've made a terrible mistake, and it shall be stricken from the record. Why don't you go into Over My Dead Bodies, and we can circle back to Kind Slaver if we want to last week, next week. Okay, sure. The last card that we will talk about on today's episode, and we... Almost made it through the first week of spoilers. Is Over My Dead Bodies. Four black black for an enchantment. Creature cards in graveyards can attack and block as though they were on the battlefield. Can block or be blocked only by creature cards in graveyards. Are zombies in addition to their other types. And have undeath touch. If they would deal damage to a creature card, exile that creature card instead. Creature cards in your graveyard have haste. This is way too much of a headache. I'm trying to process it, and I'm failing. It's absolutely bonkers. It's so cool. Can we appreciate that the person leading the charge is holding their own head forward? Yeah. 
I don't have much more. I'm still trying to process everything about this card because it's one of the coolest magic cards that I've ever seen. I think that'll all work out because we have another week that we will have to devote, and I know it's so laborious. Oh, just a chore. To discussing these wonderful unstable spoilers. Well, Jacob, if someone wanted a moment to nefariously cackle with you, where could they go? They could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and you couldn't keep up with me. It's true. And Bryce, if someone wanted to send you audition times for Ravnica, the musical, where would they be able to find you? They can find me on Twitter as walking underscore Atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash talkingatlas. Jacob and I are still quaking, not because we're, because the set is awesome, because the set unstable is awesome. Yeah, right? You got there. Um, (laughs) anyway, until next time, happy planeswalking.